All right, sounds good. So, are we ready? <laughs> okay. So, a member of the Haliwa Saponi Native American tribe, recognized by the state of North Carolina, Faith Hedgepeth was born in 1992 in Warren County, part of the tribe's traditional territory. Her parents divorced within a year of her birth, and she was raised by her mother with help from an older sister. Her mother named her Faith because she believed that was what she needed to raise a fourth child when she already had three kids and a husband with a drug problem. Faith was an honor student, a cheerleader, and a member of extracurricular activities. She earned a Gates Millennium Scholarship to attend the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and she hoped to be the first in her family to graduate from college. She lived her shit. Yeah, so it's just like a really sweet girl with her shit together, like really going places. Um, I want to say she, a real American girl, but she's a real Native American girl. Yeah, so the truest of American <laughs> girls. Um, but she lived in an off-campus apartment with her friend Karina Rosario and Rosario's boyfriend Eric Jones. Um, and Rosario and Jones had a really rocky relationship with a history of domestic violence. And it ended when Rosario broke up with him and he moved out. So in well, yeah, July... Get, get, get him the fuck out of there. Yeah, right? Um, so in July 2012, he tried breaking into the apartment on two separate occasions. Um, and Hedgepeth convinced Rosario to take out a protective order against him. And Jones blamed Hedgepeth for coming in between them. And he once threatened to kill her over the phone if him and Rosario didn't end up back together. So... On the night of September 12, 2012, Hedgepeth and Rosario went out dancing and left around 2 a.m. because Rosario had an upset stomach. A neighbor from downstairs said that around 3 a.m. she heard thumping above her apartment like something heavy had been dropped to the ground. At 3.40 a.m., two texts were sent from Hedgepeth's phone to her ex-boyfriend, Brandon Edwards. Shortly after, Rosario left the apartment to meet up with a soccer player she knew and left the apartment door unlocked while Hedgepeth was sleeping. Which, I'd lock your doors. Like... Always lock your door. <laughs> this is something I do. Like, after me and my roommate go to bed and I know we're both in the apartment, I will, like, sneak back out of bed and go check to make sure both the doors are locked because I'm so paranoid. <laughs> now, I have a funny locked door story. So, like, at my home home back in New Jersey... Uh, we don't have like key locks. We have uh, it's like a keypad thing, so you have to punch in a code and it opens the front door. Now, right. my dumb, stupid, drunk ass Ubered home from like a night of partying. <laughs> I for- and the code, the code is my birthday. I should remember yeah. my birthday. I could not for the life of me remember <laughs> what the code is. But I'm, like, fucking pounded it, pounded it, pounded it. I get it. <laughs> I really got to take a shit. Dogs are barking. So oh, fucking, no. I'm gonna climb through the window. <laughs> And as I'm climbing through the window, my shirt gets caught, like, on the windowsill. And it's, like, no. ripping as I'm falling through. <laughs> but I just, And then the light comes on. And above me is my dad and my little brother. They're both holding bats. <laughs> just, like, oh shaking their head disappointment. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, hey, guys. <laughs> They're like, Andre, what the fuck? <laughs> Go to bed. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> yeah, go to bed. And then here, like in my barracks, we have I have my door always locked because these goddamn bitch ass military police they'll just come in and if your door's unlocked, they can search your room. Oh. And I, my my room's a mess and I'm embarrassed <laughs> all the time. So you're like nobody's coming in here. I mean, just don't tell anybody I live like this. <laughs> I'm a monster. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like this. <laughs> 
Anyways, so Rosario spent the night with friends at another apartment, and she returned home around 11 a.m. the next day and found Hedgepeth's body bloodied and partially nude, wrapped in a quilt. It was later determined that she died of blunt force trauma to the head from an empty rum bottle found in the apartment. Rosario's former boyfriend was the first suspect, but his DNA did not match what was found at the scene. Oh. Yeah. Pop so Dickens. Yeah, Rosario's 911 call had been called unusual by some reporters, and there have been claims that Rosario claimed to make the call when, in fact, somebody else did, which is kind of bizarre. Um, And a note was left at the scene that said, I'm not stupid, bitch, jealous. And they're not quite sure what that meant. The letter's kind of believed to be a red herring, so they think they kind of... Yeah, they're trying to throw him off the trail. Um, Additionally... You know what this reminded me of? What? Do you know who the brat is? The brat? Yeah, the rapper, lady rapper. I was gonna say it sounds like a rapper. <laughs> <laughs> well, like it was like two years ago, she got arrested because she like <laughs> it's really fucked up. She basically just like smacked some girl in a bottle. <laughs> Sorry. She basically just like smacked some girl inside of the head with like a bottle of hypnotic at a club. And then the girl like sued her for all, everything she's worth, and then Brad with the court was like, "I can't pay that." And they were just like, "Oh my!" By the way, <laughs> it's like, well, uh, guess what? <laughs> That's not an excuse. Because she, that, that, a, a bottle, like, you, like someone, you can really damage someone with a fucking <laughs> liquor bottle. You truly can. They're heavy. They're like forceful objects. I think they, like a raw noodle. They're a bottle like dense. They're very blunt. Yeah. But once again, I digress. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so they're not even sure if she's the one who made the 911 call. Um, And then that note was left. Additionally, Hedgepeth's phone had pocket dialed a friend that night. And an audio expert who's since enhanced the recording of the call claims that he heard Hedgepeth crying for help. While a male says, I think she's dying. And a female says, do it anyhow. After a long discussion in which the female seems to get angrier. And the male and the female used oh. the name Eric and Rosie, respectively. Um, that just gave me like so a the- chill down my spine. I'm sorry, say it again. That just gave me like a chill down my spine. Right? It's like really, really creepy and bone chilling. Um, so the court chose to seal the records of the case despite protests from the university school newspaper. Um, and at the time, the Chapel Hill police hadn't even released Hedgepeth's cause of death, but her parents told the media that it was due to um, a beating. Police announced that January that the DNA from the scene had come back as belonging to a male. And from the crime scene and other evidence, the Federal Federal Bureau of Investigation, or the FBI, for those of us in the know, (laughs) had developed a profile of the man. Um, They said that it was likely that he lived near Hedgepeth in the past, had expressed an interest in her, and his behavior may have changed since the crime, including showing an unusual interest in the case. Still, the records remain sealed. Chelsea Delaney, a reporter who had originally covered the case at the Tar Heel, which was the school newspaper, wrote an article on the Atavist platform taking a skeptical look at the sealing. She speculated that the seal's real purpose was to conceal early missteps by the Chapel Hill police, who might not have been competent enough to handle the investigation by themselves. Um... And the town's court filings revealed after the first two months of the investigation that no new search warrants had been sought. 
Um, Delaney also talked to residents of the apartments at Hawthorne at The View who lived near Hedgepeth and Rosario. They told her that during the preceding summer, they strongly suspected the domestic violence later reported between Rosario and Jones. And they thought the police presence that day the body was found was related to their relationship until they learned otherwise. Um, Two of the neighbors told Delaney that while the police had sealed off the four-unit block where Hedgepeth and Rosario lived with crime scene tape, they only searched the women's apartment and not any of the others in it. Um, They didn't search the woods behind the apartments, and they only returned later to search one other apartment in the complex. Um, They didn't canvas the area. They never knocked on doors and asked residents what they might have seen. They also left... So they kind of missed the mark. Oh, they flew way past the mark. (laughs) Oh, and they also left her car unsecured while they searched the apartments. Oh, also, yeah, so in downtown Chapel Hill, Delaney talked to the owner of the towing service who had a contract for the Thrills parking lot, which was the nightclub they were at, and he'd set up a system of security cameras to monitor the activity in the club's parking lot that might have recorded, you know, anything that happened while they were outside of the club leaving. Um, And the police didn't ask to see it until right before Delaney wrote the article, almost 19 months after the crime. So by the time the police even got around to asking for the footage, it had like long since been recorded over. Well, God, um, God damn it. Yeah. So they, uh, they messed up and I hate to every week be like police, but <laughs> police, <laughs> can we just, can we just get it together for once? I mean, we've been, we've been having a police around since like, what? I don't know. <laughs> Ever. You've had and years you st- to perfect you your craft. <laughs> You've had so long. Yeah, so basically it's just this horrible tragedy and a really botched investigation. Um, so since then, some suspicion has landed on Rosario's involvement due to both her weird 911 call and the name Rosie that was mentioned in the recorded call from Hedgepeth's phone. Um, and the fact that she left the apartment door unlocked and went to sleep at someone else's apartment that night. So there's kind of been speculation. What would her motivation that, be, though? I don't know. I really don't know. But there's been speculation that she left it unlocked, knowing someone was going to come and attack her friend. No motive yeah, like been found. Yeah, and she's been cooperative with the police and hasn't been pegged as a central suspect. Um, but it is believed that she knows more than she's letting on. Um, mm. Yeah, it'd be your own and, people sometimes. Damn. Yeah, I don't know. And then. Um, Her boyfriend, Jones, seemed to be a very strong suspect from the beginning, especially after the police learned of his history of domestic violence and his threat against her. They also found that the night before, around 6 p.m., he texted an acquaintance asking for forgiveness for, quote, what I'm about to do, and then posted the same message on his Twitter feed. Yeah. And then get this. Three days later, he changed the banner of his Facebook page to read, Dear Lord, forgive me for all of my sins and the sins I may commit today. Protect me from the girls who don't deserve me and the ones who wish me dead today. But now, that could either be, he could either be a murderer or just your typical fuckboy. Or just like a total weirdo. But I mean, as I said before, his DNA didn't match what was found at the crime scene. So they're kind of like, yeah, yeah, like you said, maybe he is just a weirdo. Which I would say the domestic <laughs> violence points to, yes, you have some issues. Um... Uh, several other men who'd been present at the nightclub were tested, but no one else matched the DNA. 
Despite the time that's passed, Chapel Hill Police Chief of Investigation says her team works on Faith's case every day and are confident that it will be solved. Um, and she stated that they have some very specific evidence in the case. Um, so they're working to match the DNA that was found at the scene with the international database, as well as looking into new genetic genealogy testing database. They also obviously have the murder weapon, um, which helps. Um, asked if she had any words to the killer, Faith's sister Rolanda said, your days are numbered, you will not get away with it. So that is the murder of Faith Hedgepeth. It was kind of a short one this week. No, well, that's some shit, though. God damn. <laughs> I know, right? I All just right, feel so, so bad for get... her. Like, this young girl with her whole life ahead of her who obviously was, like, really going places. Now, imagine how fucked up it would be if it was her friend and her friend's ex who did it. Unless she left the door unlocked, went to go sleep at his crib, they came back in the middle of the night, and then that's when it happened, and then a butt dial will make it even more fucked up. Because you hear them like, she's dying, I don't care, just do it. Well, yeah, and that's the thing that's weird is like, even though they said his DNA wasn't the DNA that was there, like, that just seems so specific and strange. Um, and I don't know, it's like, did he then ask someone else to go and do it, or... You know, the whole thing did is they, just I mean, did really get, weird. Did they get the chick's DNA? I'm assuming. Well, the thing is, I mean, her DNA would have been around the apartment anyways because she lived there, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, so anyways, there's just, one to sit and chew on. I really hope that they solve this one. I mean, I hope that they solve all of them, but this one when it's just like, it's such a terrible thing, and then the investigation's botched, and then it's like there's no justice. These are the worst kinds of cases. Like, I hate cold cases. Although they said it's not technically a cold case since they're still working on it, but they have no new leads. But that... <laughs> Again, everyone's just dropping a ball. <laughs> I know, I know. Balls falling all around us. Alright, so I think before we get into my relief... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a doozy. Uh, we'll just take a short break. If you don't fuck with my raps and it's okay with me And I ain't been the type to get my luck, I guarantee And everyone around me told me I can't chase my dreams But I go and I go and I ain't giving up and all the drip was fame And I do what I wanna do You think I'm lame Anyone I talk to Sam and Sam Kill us or I'm trying to get into the game And yeah, I'm crazy Wanna dissipate you haters are lazy And try to persuade me All y'all seen that I'm not Eminem And I wanna be a Jay-Z But I'm thinking maybe I'm something close Put all I got into this and I sit at home Dad, I blow up Welcoming Drake to my crib like, what's up? I just want a chance of fame All I need is a startup, yo No, I ain't black and I know I'm kinda whack But you cut up with this black Then I promise I'll attack with a click, click, clack Let me rip back Like I said, I want the mansions Don't worry about the stacks And I'm putting in the base To this roof I raise And I swear to God, if I don't get a crowd I won't be phased Keep on grinding Feel so smiling, tell the sun, stop it shining, I'll keep up with all the rhyming cause If you don't fuck with my raps then it's okay with me And I ain't been the type to get my luck, I guarantee And everyone around me told me I can't chase my dreams But I go and I go and I ain't giving up, no And I'ma do it, 
Make it to the top, bitch, yeah, go through it Sit back, speak it loud, yeah, bitch, prove it and fade All the fuckers that think shit's stupid Like Nintendo, I'll switch up on you Making shit easy like a 2 plus 2 Everywhere I go, it's like, who are you, do? But in a year or two, I'll be eating all the food But right now I'm lost, chasing all the sauce Feel I need to make it, and right now I'm in some deep shit But believe in Jesus, so God help me to succeed it Got my way to freedom, and let down won't let you be it What if I never get shots in my name? All people that say that I can't make flame. Being honest, man, I feel like a shame. And my life's at a low, and I didn't make a stand on the underwear of life for me. My grave, my rap's like a road, and I never got paid. My friends ain't friends, and I wanted to stay. In the rap game, I don't care about the pay. Give up, fuck it, there ain't no way. Go with the flow, make it play by play. Get up, grind, man, every day. Hustle harder till I lay. Get fame fast like Lil Tay. And when I blow up, I'm still gonna say. If you don't fuck with my raps, then it's okay with me. And I ain't been the type to get my luck, I guarantee. And everyone around me told me I can't change my dreams. But I go and I go and I ain't giving up, no And we're back. That was really short. <laughs> <laughs> So short. <laughs> All right. So let me let me. Pay, I'm gonna start off with okay. Paint, I'm gonna paint the scene a little bit. So it's July 1999. What's happening? I think Punky Brewster's still on TV. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> the Matrix just came out. <laughs> I great think SpongeBob film, just started film. airing. Great film. Red pill, blue pill. It like incited a lot of incels. I didn't think it through, didn't thought that was gonna happen in the future, but it did. Oh, <laughs> oh God! What's the landscape? Hit me, baby, one more time. Hit. <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure Mama Number Five is like climbing the charts too. All I'm hearing is that 1999 was a great year to be alive. It was a great year, and like I think I'm that's really when struggling. I because I was like five years old, so I just know these things like in the back of my memory. <laughs> oh, I was all up in pop culture as a five-year-old. I I yeah, knew what was mom, going on. I watched Sailor yeah, Moon. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just about to hit Y2K, and everyone's freaking the fuck out. Everyone, <laughs> other than my mother, who didn't give a shit. <laughs> She's like, if it ends, it ends. <laughs> Yeah, I do remember her just like vehemently like, hey, these people are crazy, man. Do you remember when there was that huge apocalypse scare in like 2012 and everyone was like, is this it? <laughs> it was, everyone was like, this, is this it? But then like all, every teenager was just like on Facebook making memes. <laughs> well, my angsty teenage ass was just like, if this is it, I don't even care. None of this matters. <laughs> <laughs> I hope like, it honestly, ends. I remember it. I remember like smoking weed with my friends and like one of my friends like shitty truck. He's like, well guys, we're going out. <laughs> At least we were but. all with the ones we loved. <laughs> and our weed. And our weed. In this shitty Chevy S10. <laughs> so it's 1999, July, hot as fuck. And in Philadelphia, a man just got killed by lethal injection. That piece of shit was Gary, I'm, I'm gonna fuck up his last name, and I don't even care, <laughs> it's Gary Michael Hadik, no, not he, Hendik, Hindik, I really, <laughs> H-E-I-D-N-I-K, Hadik? Yeah, Hindik? Hindik, 
Regardless, Gary Whatever. sounds like a piece of shit name. I I don't mean to malign all the Garys all out Garys, there. Not but, all Garys, but some Garys. Now, <laughs> it's like if I see a man in a plaid shirt, I'm already I'm already upset. So it's, the name <laughs> Gary is like my plaid shirt. Oh no, double whammy. So <laughs> so now Gary was an American murderer, kidnapper, and torturer who targeted six african-american women and he killed only two of them he also held them all prisoner in his basement buffalo bill like pit in philadelphia this guy was like the monsters of monsters and not a lot of people know about him yeah so, this is the first uh, i've heard of him yeah yeah so i'm gonna i'll dive into his childhood a little bit because you know everyone likes to get the full story well, usually, unless they're like, oh, he was just so troubled, and I don't know what happened, he snapped, mental illness was crazy, unless <laughs> you're not a white dude, and you get labeled as a thug. So, if you're someone who just wants the bite-sized version, you can take that statement and skip ahead. <laughs> but for those of us who want the nitty-gritty... <laughs> yeah, the gold, gold star. <laughs> Alright, so, what do we settle on again? Hadink? Hindink? I'm so I'm just going with Hadink. So Hadink was born to Michael and Ellen Hadink and was raised in East Lake suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio. He had a younger brother named Terry. His parents divorced in 1946, and the Hadink children were raised by their mother for four years before being placed in the care of their father and his new boo. Hadink would later <laughs> claim that he was often <laughs> sorry, he was often emotionally abused. <laughs> He would claim that he's often mostly abused by his father, but honestly, most of us have been. <laughs> he suffered an em- we all. <laughs> he suffered an emotional, like a well, he suffered a lifetime of problems. He was a bedwetter uh, for a very long time, and he claimed his father would humiliate his son by forcing him to hang his stained sheets from the bedroom windowsill in full view of his neighbors. Oh, that's rough. <laughs> That's, that's that's really rough. That's that's fucked up. And like imagine being a neighbor is like, oh oh god, they're doing it again. Yeah. Oh god, not the sheets. Put it away. <laughs> Those goddamn dinks, man. <laughs> and uh, after his son's arrest, Michael Hadink denied that he ever abused his son. So like after he's telling a story, he's like, oh, I never made my son hang out pissy sheets at the window. What? Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, at school, Hadink did not interact with fellow student students, and he refused to make eye contact. So he was that weird pissy kid who did look at the ground the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, when a well-meaning new female student asked, "Did you get your homework done, Getty?" he yelled at her and told her she was not worthy enough to talk to him. So, uh, okay. Yeah. It, it reminds me of like Dennis Always Sunny in Philadelphia. What's that show? Yeah, it's always sunny. Yeah, it's like when he goes around yelling and he's a golden god, and everyone was just like, alright, alright, man. Like whatever you say. So uh Hadink was also teased about his oddly shaped head. Which he and Terry claimed was a result of a young Hadink falling out of a tree. Needless to say, Hadink performed well in academics, he was smart. Had an IQ 148, which we all know nowadays, your IQ really doesn't mean shit. Uh, yeah. With the encouragement of his father, a 14-year-old pissy, condiment asshole, Hadink, 
enrolled into the military academy in Virginia for two years. Uh, even before graduation, after a period in high school, he dropped out and said fuck it and joined the military when he was 17. Uh, Hadink served in the army for 13 months during basic training. Hadink's drill sergeant graded him as excellent, which really doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it means you just know how to. It means you know how to get yelled at <laughs> and do push-ups. I feel like so, I do well in the army. I can do those things. <laughs> yeah, like if you just if you if you've been emotionally abused as a child, you'll do fine in basic training. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, you know what? I've been through worse. <laughs> Like, what are, you, what are you gonna do? Hit me? You're not legally. You can't. So, <laughs> not really. Oh don't boy. Care. Sounds <laughs> like a blast. Like, what are you gonna do? <laughs> Every day I was like, what are you gonna do? Hit me? <laughs> so come at me. <laughs> please, I'll sue everybody here. Do you know who my mom is? Do you, have you heard of my father? <laughs> he makes me put all my pissy sheets in the window. Do you know what he'll do to you? <laughs> uh, (laughs) Following basic training, he applied for several several specialist positions, including military police, but was rejected. (laughs) Thank God. I think maybe they saw something. I was like, no, you're not cut out to police anybody. You fucking weirdo. Uh, He was sent to San Antonio, Texas to be trained as a medic, and he did well through medical training. However, Hadink did not stay in San Antonio very long and was transferred to the 46th Armory Surgical Hospital in West Germany, which honestly, that sounds like a fucking peach because I love, I want to go to Germany really bad. <laughs> uh, I mean, not the best circumstances, but okay. Oh no, but <laughs> uh, within weeks of his new position in Germany, he learned his GED. So, you know, finally he got the high school education. And <laughs> in August 1962, Hadink began complaining about several severe headaches, blurred vision, and nausea. A hospital neurolo- neurologist diagnosed him with gastro. What's the fucking thing? I can't. Uh, Gastrointestinal. It yeah, there was something wrong with his bowels. <laughs> and they also, <laughs> and they also noted that he had probably had severe symptoms of a mental illness, and they prescribed him uh, that stazoline. And I don't think they, I don't think they even use stazoline anymore. It's like a, yeah, it's an antipsychotic. It. Oh. Yeah, it's like a general antipsychotic. I mean, with the military, they'll give you ibuprofen for like everything. <laughs> so I'm surprised they didn't just give them some ibuprofen for. Maybe they didn't have uh, it yet. Maybe. But hey, you're you maybe yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> I have no idea. And, uh, I'm just spitballing. In uh, October ninety, uh, in October 1962, he was transferred from Germany back. Well, not back, but to back to America and sent to Philadelphia, where he was diagnosed professionally with schizophrenia and a personality disorder. So they gave him an honorable discharge out of the military because they didn't want to deal with that. So take note that he was a bedwetter, he was abused as a child, and he is diagnosed with schizophrenia and multiple personality disorder. Well, like, kind of like the makings for a serial killer when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, that's it's not going to turn out a well-adjusted adult in most cases. No. So, shortly after his discharge, Hadink became a LPN, a licensed practical nurse, and enrolled to the University of Pennsylvania, only to drop out after one semester. Hashtag mood. 
Uh, he worked as he worked as a psychiatric nurse at a Veterans Administration Hospital, but was fired for poor attendance and rude behavior towards patients. So he either wouldn't show up, would show up late, and was an asshole to the patients. <laughs> like you're a bad nurse guy. Yeah. Uh, from August 1962 until his arrest in March 1987, Hadink spent time in and out of psycho hospitals. Like, he attempted suicide multiple times. I think they said, like, he tried 13 different times to, to commit suicide. Oh, my God. And, and yeah. In 1970, his mother, Elaine, who had, also, who had been diagnosed with bone cancer uh, and su- suffered from alcoholism and her own bouts of suicide, committed suicide by drinking chloride. Oh man, so that's it. Seems as if mental illness probably runs in the family. Oh man, uh, that is a Terry, rough way to go. Yeah, and his brother Terry, get this, also spent time in a mental institution and tried to commit suicide multiple times. Yeah, so that family's just not holding up well. Yeah, that's got to be genetic. Oh, that's sad. That's bad. And uh, October 1971, Hadink Incorporated. Well, he like started going to a church, mm-hmm. and the church—it was—it was a very small church with only five followers. But he liked it. He opened an account under the church's name, and deposited I think like fifteen hundred dollars in it, and then eventually amassed over like five hundred thousand. So he was bringing this church money. Okay. I don't know, I don't where, know where, was where he getting he, all the money from. I really have no idea, but he was packing the money in there. Uh, and within that church, he actually met his future wife, with whom he corresponded with by mail for two years before proposing to her. Betty Detso arrived from the Philippines. She's a Filipino woman. She came from the mm-hmm. Philippines in September 1985 and married her dink in Maryland. Uh, the marriage... Eh, eh, <laughs> it wasn't that great. I can imagine and it would not be. She, she found him in bed with three other women. I don't know if this was at once. Okay, I was or gonna say over a period of time. Either way, it's bad. But um, wow. Way it's bad. Uh, and throughout the course of his brief marriage, Hadink forced his wife to watch him have sex with other women. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, Betty also accused him of repeatedly raping and assaulting her. With the help of the Filipino community in Philadelphia, she was able to leave Hadink in January 1986. And that really just shows that, hey, if anybody else won't got your back, hopefully, I mean, from your community will. And she had, yeah. she immigrated here and her community really stepped up to help her out. And that's, that's a good story. Yeah. So, because uh, a lot of times unknown, it does not go that way. Yeah, not at all. So unknown to Hadink until his ex-wife requested custody well, she requested child support and custody of the kid. He didn't know that she was actually pregnant. So, like, when she left, she filed and said, hey, you know, when his baby comes out of me, you're giving me a check and you're not getting this kid. Mm-hmm. That's how he found out that she was pregnant. And she gave birth to a son and named him Jesse John. And, you Aww. know, hopefully he... <laughs> yeah, hopefully he doesn't know about his dad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that woman got out of there. Yeah. So, uh... Hadink also had a child with a woman named Gail and named that son Gary Jr. And that child was placed in foster care as soon as they gave birth to it. Hadink had a third child with another woman and that child was unfortunately illiterate and mentally disabled and they really didn't take care of it that well. Uh, Their daughter 
Maxine Davidson was born in March 16, 1978, and immediately also placed in foster care. Shortly after Maxine gave birth, Hadink was arrested for kidnapping and raping her sister, Alberetta, who had been living in the Institute of a Mental... Yeah, she's been living in the Mental Institute at Penn Township, so he would go there and assault and rape her. And all of his kids were given away, thankfully, because this motherfucker's sick, and we're gonna get into it. Yeah, oh my god, those... Okay, alright, I'm ready, go on. (laughs) 1976. This was his first the, the, his first charges. Uh, he was charged with aggravated assault and carrying an unlicensed pistol after shooting the tenant of a house he offered for rent, grazing him in the face. So he oh. shot at a man and luckily didn't kill him. It just grazed his face. Which oh. means, means that your aiming really fucking sucks for a guy who was in the army, but... <laughs> Be better. Actually, don't. It's good that he wasn't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not good advice. Now, his first imprisonment was in 1978. Hadin signed out the sister of his then-girlfriend, Alberetta. Well, not Alberta wasn't a girlfriend, but he signed, Alberta was a sister that he signed out of the hospital for, like, a day of leave, you know, go out and do some shit, and proceeded to imprison her in a locked storage room in his basement. And this was over time because before he would go into the institute and assault her, but this time he took her out of it and locked her in a basement. After she was found and returned to the hospital, uh, it was revealed that she had been raped and sodomized and that she would contracted gonorrhea. I think was arrested and charged with kidnapping, rape, unlawful restraint, false imprisonment, involuntary deviant sexual intercourse, and interfering with the custody of a committed person. The original sentence was over, yeah. But the original sentence was overturned on appeal, and Hadink spent three years, only three years, of his incarceration in a mental institute prior to being released in 1983 under supervision, quote unquote, of a uh, state-sanctioned mental health program. Only three years. So, so he he assaulted a uh, mental health patient kidnapped her imprisoned her sodomized and raped her and only got three years in a mental health prison itself you gotta be fucking kidding me 1986 that was a spousal rape case after his wife Betty left him in 1986 Hadink was arrested yet again and charged with assault indecent assault spousal rape and involuntary deviant sexual intercourse uh, now, 1986 to 87, those were kind of his his stabby boy years. On November 25th, 1986, Hadink up- abducted a woman named Josephine Rivera. By January 1987, he had kidnapped another four women who had who he held captive in a basement pit of his house at uh, 3520th North Marshall Street, in North Philly. Wait, did you say another four? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So he so within a year, a long he, yeah, within a year, he, he kidnapped five women. women. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. And let me see the timeline again. It was like within a couple months too. So and he the, was uh, just on a spree. Yeah, he uh, maybe something just finally broke, and he said, "You know what? I'm going balls to the wall." <laughs> uh, the captives who were all they were all black women. They were all raped. They were all beaten, and they were all tortured. One woman, Sandra Lindsay died of a combination of starvation, torture, and an untreated fever. Hadink, now, 
content warning. <laughs> what is a little late for content warning? Yeah, we, could, we passed that exit miles ago. <laughs> yeah. He dismembered her body, but had problems dealing with the arms and legs. So he put them in a freezer, marked them dog food. He cooked her ribs in an oven and boiled her head in a pot on the stove. Police came to the house due to complaints of a bad odor, but left the premises after Hadink explained, I'm cooking a roast. I fell asleep and it got burnt. Hmm. Several Wait. sources take the heat. I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you go on. The story's starting to found, sound a little bit familiar. But yeah. maybe I'm thinking of something else. But a boiled head, that'll so, jump out at you. It, it sounds a little uh Jeffrey Dahmer-esque. It's a little Dahmer-esque. Like along those lines. Yeah. yeah. A little Dahmer, yeah, a little Dahmer. Little Buffalo Bill. Yeah. So several sources state that he ground up the flesh of Lindsay, mixed it with dog food, and fed it to his other victims. His defense attorney said upon examination that, well, upon examination of his cuisine art, quote unquote, the other two in his kitchen, they found no evidence of this. So they can't say rather he actually did feed them, feed that body to his victims, but he did butcher her and cut her up. Yeah. Uh, his uh, attorney said that he made up that story to support his insanity defense. The defense attorney said that he stated that rumor of cannibalism in public and that in fact there was no evidence of anybody eating any flesh shows that he was just making that up to get the insanity you know thing going instead of trying to get death row. Uh, Hadink used an electric shock as a form of torture. At one point, he forced three of his captives who were bound in chains in a pit. Well, he like he bound them in chains and forced them into a pit and then it would shock them. Hadink oh. uh, ordered Rivera and another woman to fill the hole with water and force Rivera to help him apply electric currents from a strap ascension cord to the women's chains. Uh, one of the women, Deborah, was fatally electrocuted and Hadink disposed of her body in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. So he filled a pit with water, put the remaining women in it and would shock them for amusement. How like, what the fuck? Completely disgusting. Do you have to be? That's, you're, <laughs> I guess, just depraved beyond depraved. Like, you are fucked on, up, dude. On uh, January 18th, 1987, Hadink abducted Jacqueline Atkins, the youngest of the six women. She was only 18 years old when she got taken. During a TV interview for the May 5th, 2018 special on Gary, Gary Hadink's Horror House 30 years later, uh, Jacqueline, who survived, stated that Hadink wrapped duct tape around the mouths of the victims and stabbed them in the ears with screwdrivers. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So on March 23rd, 1987, Hadink Rivera, with the help of Rivera, abducted Ange Adams. Uh, the next day, Rivera confessed, not confessed, sorry. The next day, Rivera convinced Hadink to let her go temporarily in order to visit her family. He drove her to a gas station and said that he would wait there. She walked a block away and immediately called 911. So now, I think what was happening was that she was like playing him maybe a little bit. Because oh, she like, probably uh, kind of cozied up to him and was like, yeah, I'll help yeah, you she really co- help you do all this it, stuff. Yeah. Because she helped him with the whole torture thing and the electrocution. So I think she really, like, just cozy up to him to get him, which is smart as fuck. Like, 
Yeah. I she mean, you have to just, in that situation. You You're just to, trying yeah. to survive. And I think she kicked in there, like, that little fighter instinct. was like, you know what? I'm going to just use these wiles to <laughs> get us the fuck out of here. Yeah. But, I mean, good on her. So, mm-hmm. she managed to call 911 and the responding officers noted the chafing from chains on her legs so you can see like the marks where she had chains on her yeah uh, and then they immediately walked around a corner went to the gas station and arrested him his uh his best friend a guy named tony brown was also arrested brown was though released on a he was released on a fifty thousand dollar bill and an agreement that would testify against a dink and part two admitting to be a witness so he witnessed a lot of that shit happening. He witnessed the woman's Lindsay's death in a basement, and he witnessed him dismembering her. But he claims that he didn't do anything to help. He just like saw it all. So he and was just chilling in the background. That's his story. Like oh, I was just there. Yeah, he he was oh. just there. And for him to plead against a dink, he walked away scot free. Are you uh, kidding me? Yep. No, I'm not. <laughs> and uh, shortly after his arrest, I think tried to hang himself in jail. Which, no. Because now you got to face your shit, motherfucker. <laughs> I know. I, those you're are the not, worst ones where it's like, we finally got you. And then they kill themselves. And you're like... <sighs> you're not getting out that easy. Yeah. You want some justice to be served. So, fuck so you, Hadink. <laughs> so now I'm going to go into the trials and appeals. Okay. Uh at his arraignment he claimed that the women were already in this house when he moved there so what? his defense um, is they were already in the pit when you what a completely a normal is... thing to notice <laughs> yeah. when you move in and not tell anyone if you have these captive women just in a pit so, oh you know what i should do torture them was he uh, representing himself was no lawyer like yeah it's not gonna fly bud what i think his defense attorney charles was just like god damn it <laughs> <laughs> Just say whatever. You know what? I I don't even care anymore. At this point, it's kangaroo court. (laughs) (laughs) So, at the trial, uh, he was offended by a dude named Charles, poor Charles, who attempted to prove that Hadink was actually just legally insane. Hadink's insanity was successfully rebuted, though, by the prosecution. The fact that he had a mise approximately $550,000 in his bank and was able to put so much money into that church like he was making money and yeah that that was their argument of him not being insane because if you're insane how could you be making so much money like how could you be doing all this shit yeah how are you holding every other area of your life together and you're insane yeah uh testimony from his financial advisor also was used to prove that he was completely competent because this dude walked up and was like, nah, like he knows his shit. He's a smart guy. He can't be insane because he's making all these... He's broke right. He's doing a lot of shit. <laughs> uh, his, uh, the guy, the financial advisor, called him an astute investor who knew exactly what he was doing whenever he did it. So that really like dropped the nail in a coffin for him. Uh, he was convicted of two counts of first-degree murder and was sentenced to death and, and incarcerated at the... Uh, State Correctional Institute in Pittsburgh and January 89 he attempted suicide again and tried to overdose on some pills that were taken didn't work in 97 Hadink's daughter one of his daughters Maxine Davidson and his ex-wife Betty filed suit in federal court 
in uh, Pennsylvania seeking a stay of execution on the bias that Hadink was not, in fact, competent to be executed. So I don't know if maybe he reached out to him and, like, pled, his, pled a case or they just still loved him. I don't know. But they didn't want him to die. Yeah, it's strange that they would come back later and kind of be like, hey, don't kill on him. his side. Yeah. Also, bold move, though. Yeah. <laughs> Very bold. <laughs> Bold and brass, more like belongs in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> After about two years, though, of going through the process in various courts, and uh, July third, nineteen ninety-nine, they decided that hey, no, we're going to execute him, and he was executed by lethal injection, July sixth, and his body was cremated, and he's probably in hell, and not, not like not like that fun hell that everyone else is going to. He's in like the bad. Hell. He's not like the circle I'll be chilling in. Yeah, like, he's gotta know, be a few cool levels down. Oh man, that's yeah, no. brutal. Yep. That was really And I'll just go. So- I'll just like list his victims again because you know the victims. You gotta know their names. Right. There's Josephine Rivera. She was kidnapped in uh, November 1986. Uh, Sandra Lindsay, uh, 24, kidnapped 1886 in December. And was killed on February 1987. Lisa Thompson, 19, kidnapped uh, December 23rd, 1986. Deborah Dudley, 23, kidnapped January 2nd, 1987, murdered March 9th. I meant March 19th, sorry. Uh, Jacqueline Atkins, 18, kidnapped January 18th, 1987. And Ange Adams, kidnapped at 24, March 23rd. And also rescued, thankfully, that same day. So, I mean, those women, like, the, the ones, they, I mean, they, they held in there, the ones who could. Yeah. And like, goddamn, you gotta be a fighter to get through that shit. So, how many of them survived in total? Only two were killed out of the, uh, one, two, three, four, out of the six. Okay. Oh, jeez. I can't believe. I mean, it's the, you know the power of a strong black woman like they they really just held out a lot of them resilient resilient as fuck and just how infuriating and i mean you do hear this a lot with older cases and i guess with some new ones where the the sentences for these horrendous crimes it's like well just give them like three years that's fine it's like no you should to be the yeah it's a real ballsy thing to be like a defending a murderer and then because you know i know it's your job i get it man but the thing they come up with is just like fuck he was crazy everyone's like no he wasn't (laughs) yeah Uh, well that one was um rough yeah they're all rough but that was next level Ooh, that's that's some shitty shit some shitty shit that's shitty (laughs) so Um, uh, i can't hear you (laughs) oh (laughs) is that way you hear me now yeah. All right. I hooked up. Like, put my phone away for some. I don't know. I'm stupid. Uh, that was some shit, though. It we was got some through it together. Shit. I'm yeah, glad you're here was, with me. I am happy that I now have to go to bed and we'll have all of that swirling <laughs> around in my brain. The ponder all. <laughs> yeah. Real comforting. So, uh, you're welcome. My day's only starting. <laughs> oh, yeah. How is it in the future? What can I look forward to tomorrow? I mean, it is 7 a.m. and almost 100 degrees already. Oh, oh God. I do not envy you. 
So uh, I will leave off with some positivity. We got a great review from a oh, we did. I podcast saw that. review. Yeah, it was really nice. I loved it. Uh, you know, on whatever you on like iTunes and shit, just tell us how you think. Give us a, give us a nice rating, a little review. That's always nice. Uh, check out the social medias: Instagram at Bras and Murder, Facebook Bras and Murder, and Twitter at Murder Bra. Uh, look for our Spotify playlist. I'm putting on some more jams soon. Make sure you get the artists this week some love. Uh, hmm. I think that's it for me. You got anything? Um, I think you pretty much covered it. Just that thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you for being a friend. <laughs> Been around the world back again. <laughs> uh, Merci. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, that's it, guys. Have a good day. See ya. That was heavy, right? Was, yeah. This podcast is part of the Colored Commentary Network. Colored Commentary Network. Colored Commentary Network. Colored Commentary Network. Where inclusivity matters.